0: If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 33. Um, If you don't, there might be a Bible underneath your uh, seat in front of you that you can grab and take a look at in the Old Testament. Uh, We are in our new series, or a newer series, uh, called A Radical Call. And uh, this series is a little different than the normal series that I do. I usually pick a book and pick pick the book of the Bible and uh, teach chapter by chapter through it. Um, but I have chosen to to take a theme and to uh, go from different places to talk about this theme, Uh, and we are in our third message uh, in our Radical Call series. That's the theme uh, that we wanted to use for this series. Uh, we talked about Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, not the bullfrog, uh, in, the first, uh, ser- in the first sermon. Um, last Sunday, we talked about Gideon, and I always love the story of Gideon. Um, always gives me a lot of hope of how God could use someone uh, like that to do mighty things. And then this morning, we're going to talk about Moses. And uh, it's my desire through this series that we're challenged. We're challenged by God, and challenged by the call of God um, to realize what we see in our world today is not what God has called us to be as Christians as a whole. Um, I think it would not be hard to look across the landscape of our Christianity today and the temperature of what Christianity would be. You wouldn't say it was hot, on fire, burning up the world, uh, uh, discipling people, and changing our culture. I think you'd have to say it's more lukewarm, fading into being cold, and not even impacting our culture at all. And that's the danger that we have as Christians. And some Christians, and Christians as a whole, um, experience that temperature and they begin to become lukewarm, to become apathetic, and to become comfortable in the fact that we are just being conformed into the image of this world. But we know as Christians, as the Bible says, we are not to be conformed to this world We are to be radically different than the status quo. And I think for us as Christians, sometimes we get confused because sometimes what we call Christianity is by name only. But they have no identifying markers. And uh, we're studying through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. And when you see the church in its early stages and you see the Christians and how they live their lives, you say, that's radically different than what we see in Christianity today. And it shouldn't be. And so I pray that as we go through this series, that we're challenged by God and we are called by God to not live in the status quo, to be radically different in the world and environment that we live in, not to be lukewarm, because the world has tried to rebrand Christianity, right? They've said the old school Christianity is outdated. It needs to be canceled. They love the word canceled, right? We need to cancel it. We need to cancel the Bible. We need to cancel the judgment of God. We need to cancel the Old Testament. There are mainline Christian teachers who are saying we need to unhinge the Old Testament from the New Testament and only speak of the God of the New Testament. Well, the God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We cannot change God. And the problem is, it's not the world's job to identify or to define Christianity. That's God's job. And last time I checked, He didn't need any help. He's not dead. He's still on the throne. He still is God. And He's alive and well. And we don't need to redefine Christianity or we don't need to appease the world. We as Christians need to be radically different from that. But the problem is, some have fallen for the trap. And many Christians have gotten away from God's word. We have become comfortable. We have become conformed. And even it starts with some of us just affirming or allowing these things in our homes and in our churches. And next thing you know, we are apathetic to it and it creeps in slowly. And next thing you know, it's squeezing us into its mold. This kind of Christianity said there's no absolute truth. Listen, when you get to a Christianity without absolute truth or a culture without absolute truth, you get questions like, what is a man? What is a woman? What is marriage? What is the meaning of life? Or when does life begin? What is law? What is order? That's what happens when you don't have standards. You don't have the Word of God. But in Christianity, we have the Word of God. God defines what marriage is. God defines what man is and what woman is. God defines what life is, and God defines what law is and order is. He He defines these things, and we don't need to fall for the trap of mellowing ourself out or conforming to the world that there is no absolute truth. There is absolute truth. We have it in God's Word, and it is a judge and a standard that we must live by. Another way that we have fallen for this is that Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven that we can all fellowship and love one another, and as long as the person is uh, pursuing something with all their heart, that will lead them to heaven. That's not true. you you got to pursue Jesus Christ. There are many ways to Jesus Christ. Yes, we all have different testimonies. Some of us got saved when we were younger. Some of us got saved when we were older. I saw a video this week of an 88-year-old woman getting baptized, and she was saved for the first time at 88 years old. Praise God, what a story, right? And I was saved when I was young. Some people are saved when they're old. There's many ways to Jesus Christ, but there's no question, He is the way. He is the life. He is the, uh, he is the Savior, And we don't need to conform to the world to say, that's too narrow-minded, that doesn't leave room for other people. No, that's what the Bible says. And if the Bible says that, that's what Christianity is. And what we need to be as Christians is not willing to compromise. We need to be ready, and when God calls us to do something radical, something radically different or extremely different than what we see in this world, then we got to be ready to respond. And you know what we I love about the Bible is you can read through the Bible and you realize that God is looking for men and women ready to make that to answer that call. He is looking for young people to answer the call. He is looking for old people to answer the call. He's looking for single people and married people. He's looking for all kinds of people willing to say, God, here I am. I am willing and ready for you to do something radical in me and through me to change this world. And we see this in the Old Testament many times. We have mentioned a few of these names, and this morning we're going to talk about how God has used Moses, but the question for you and me is, are we willing to be one that God can can, can use us like that? Are we willing to be a radical Christian to say, I'm going to lead my family in the ways of God, not the ways of this world? I'm going to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not the way this world says to raise them. Am I going to serve my church and serve other people the way that God has called us to love them and not the way that this world says to serve and to love? And for you and for me, are we willing, are we ready to be radical for God? Because I could tell you, God is looking and he is waiting and he is calling us to do that. And as he has called Moses this morning, we're going to read about him. And then through this story, I want you to see that God is calling Moses before he does something radical. He, through Moses, he wants to do something radical in Moses, and that's the way it always works. God always wants to do radical or uh, something radical in your heart before he does something radically through you. And so, when we pick up the story here in Exodus chapter three, I want you to I want you to bring you up to date. So Joseph had brought. Uh, the people of Israel or the nation of Israel, those of his family members. He had went before Pharaoh. You know, he was uh, favored by the Pharaoh. He allowed his family to settle in this land and they were thriving. They were doing well. And then all of a sudden, the Pharaoh had passed away. Joseph had passed away. And uh, several generations have passed or a couple generations passed. And so here was this uh, group of people of a million and a half or uh, close to a million and a half people between uh, you know one million, million and a half. And so the new Pharaoh that come along says, why do I have to listen to what the old Pharaoh says? And we have all these people dwelling out there and they, they, uh, they don't, they're not really doing anything. He says, why don't we make them our slaves? Why don't we make them work for us? And then we don't have to work. That sounds kind of familiar even today, right? I mean, we can, we can use them to work and we won't have to work. And so Pharaoh enslaves them. He calls them in and he begins to put pressure on them. He makes them serve them. And they begin to work for them and have no rights and they had no uh, uh, distinction. And so literally, the people had got to a point where they're like, okay, God, this is too much. We're oppressed. We are pushed down. We've had enough. They called on God. God, we need you to deliver us. God, we need you to bring us out of the hand of Pharaoh. And God chose to answer them through calling a man named Moses. We know the story of the burning bush, and you know how God got Moses there, and Moses went before Pharaoh, and God did the, uh, put the plagues on uh, Pharaoh, and, God, and Pharaoh began to let them go. And before they were on their way into the promised land, they come up to the Red Sea, and you remember how uh, the Red Sea was such a great barrier there, and they looked to God and said, God, are you going to answer your people? Are you going to deliver? deliver us or are you just going to leave us here and let us die? And so God answered in a mighty way and Moses parted the Red Sea and they went across on dry ground and they were through the wilderness and on the way to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Well, in that process, in that journey, God decides that he is going to reveal himself to Moses through the Ten Commandments. So he calls Moses to go up on Mount Horeb, he goes on Mount Sinai, he goes up on Mount Sinai, and Moses is getting the commandments from God. Literally, God is speaking to Moses and writing on the tablets the Ten Commandments. Well, the people who were down uh, in the valley, uh, they were not meeting with God. They had just seen God deliver them, they had seen God part the Red Sea, they had been through this process, but they decided, you know what? Uh, this God is uh, like other gods, so let's make a graven image and let's worship this graven image. And so they take gold and they take earrings and they throw it into a fire and out comes a calf. And they begin to worship this golden calf. And so Moses comes down and he knows the Lord is mad. The Lord is upset. And he looks at the people and he says, what are you doing? Why would you make a graven image and why would you worship this, uh, this idol? And they said, we didn't make it. It just popped out of the fire, <laughs> right? That's a great lie. It just was there. It just appeared. No, they had it. They, they brought it together. And Moses says, well, what is God going to do? And you know what God says? I'm going to wipe them all out. He's like, I'm done with them. I will not bring them any further. And I want nothing to do with them. And so Moses pleads with God. God, please, I'm pleading with you. These people, uh, deal with us, work with us, God. And I know you're unhappy, and I know you want to deal with us, but Moses went before God and pleaded with him, please give us the chance to be able to go on. And that's where Exodus chapter 33 picks up the story. And so Exodus chapter 33 begins in verse 1, and it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, he says to, to Moses, to the people, Depart from and go up from here, you and the people from who have brought... Uh, from whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt and to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he said, okay, I, I'm not going to wipe you out, but go up from here and go to this land that I swore and go to your descendants, I will give it. In verse 2, he says, I will send my angel before you. So he said, I'll send uh, my, my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite And Mr. Randy, you'll like this in the termite. All right, all the ites. He said, well, we'll get all the ites out of there. We'll get rid of all these bugs and all these these things. He said, no, we'll drive out all these people, verse 3, and you'll go up into the land of flowing milk and honey, but I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So God says, okay, you can go, and you will go to the land of promise, like I said, but I'm not going with you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you because if I go with you and I go up in your midst, he said, I'm going to consume you because you are too stiff-necked. You, are, you, you, you have pushed yourself away from me. Then verse 4 says, and when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And, they, and no one put on his ornaments. they like, why would God not go with us? And for the Lord said to Moses, tell, this, tell them this. So the children said, uh, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. And I'm sure that was pretty hard for Moses to say, right? If I stood up there this morning and said, you are stiff-necked people, right? And so Moses had a job. So he tells you, do tell them they're stiff-necked. And he says, I, would, I could come up with your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I uh, may know what, you, uh, what to do to you. See the children. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of the ornaments by Mount Horeb. And Moses took his tent and pitched it far outside of the camp, far from the camp and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside of the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle so that all the people rose and each man stood at the tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of God descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. You want to talk about a prayer meeting? Wow. And the Lord talked with Moses, and the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. So Moses is pleading, God, you said you're going to send me, but you haven't said you're going with me. I want to know uh, if you're going to go because you said you'd know me by name and you found, I found grace in your sight. Verse 13, he says, Now therefore I pray, if I, find, if I f- have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here, Lord. For how then, will we, how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except that you go with us so that we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth? And so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing um, that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And he said, Please show me your glory. I mean, what a request, right? And in verse 19, then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face For no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so shall it be while my glory passes by. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. I mean, what a story, right? I mean, what an incredible story. And those who say the Bible's boring, not interesting, they don't read the Bible, right? I mean, because when you read the Bible, there are some amazing stories. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And, and as we look to this, a couple things I want to think about this morning. Uh, we realized that in the nation of Israel, what they had done was turn their backs on God, or they had, they had turned themselves into complacency. You see, God had done some amazing things. They saw God and they called out on Him and God delivered them and He rescued them through the plagues and He he had rescued them from Pharaoh and He had parted the Red Seas. He had done some miracles. He had delivered them from their troubles, which is a great thing. But yet their hearts was far from knowing God. And really the majority of the people there didn't really seek God. What they saw was just the miracles and the provision of God. And so their hearts was their hearts was towards God because of what He could do for them and in the time that He had delivered them. But now, in the time that they were in this point, they were like, well, God has is, is not done miracles. He has not brought us any further than this. And so yet their hearts were not moved very far. But you see, in of, of those things that God do for us, it does for us is not what God desires. You see, God desires not for us just to love Him for what He can do for us, He wants us to love Him for who He is. He wants us to love Him in the good and the bad. He wants us to know Him and love Him for who He is and in His character. And the nation of Israel had fallen into the status quo because they were just praising God for what He could do for them. And that He delivered them. He had given them this dream and this promised land. And you know, so many times in our lives that we get to a point to where we realize we're not pursuing God anymore. Because we're pursuing the blessings of God, right? I mean, you think about this. Think about our country. You think about our nation. God has protected our country. God has divinely uh, instituted or began our country. And God has worked through the message of Christianity and through people who love God and protected our country. But we've come to a point now in our country where we want to say, No, God, you've been so good to us and we have so many blessings that now... We don't want to honor you in our schools. We don't want to honor you in our homes. We don't want to honor you in things. You know why? Because when we see the blessings of God and the protections of God, that's good enough for us. And as long as God delivers us, as long as God can give us the the American dream, and as long as God is doing things for me, praise God. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. But as soon as we realize that He is not doing these things or it's a time of heartache or a time of pain or something that's difficult in our life, we say, God, I'm, I really don't want to know that part of you. I just want to know the good parts of you. And I just want to know the blessings of you. Listen, I in my own life have seen people and have have done this in my own life to where we have desired and sought God for things that He could deliver us from. And when God delivered us from them, we turned back to do, uh, we've turned back from what we said we would do for the Lord. some people have prayed for jobs and God would give them a job and that job takes them to places to where they can't serve the Lord anymore and they get so consumed by their job that they're no longer a spiritual leader of their home or their families and they're so consumed by the job and the possessions that they can buy from those things that they no longer seek God or honor God. That's what was happening in the nation of Israel. It's easy to do. The goodness of God turns into a point to where we stop pursuing the heart of God. And God says, that's not enough for me. I want people who's going to pursue my heart, not just my blessings. And and it's so easy to fall into this trap because the blessings of God so many times puts us into a status quo. And we pursue these blessings rather than the God of the blessings. Listen, when we get to the point to where we uh, we, we we don't know God, but we know the blessings of God more, we've stopped pursuing the heart of God. And God wants us to pursue the heart of God. He wants us to get to the point to where we want to know him more than anything else, good or bad. We should pursue the heart of God. It happens in our life. We can see this in practical ways in our life. It happens in relationships. As in, you know, you ever been around someone who's a newlywed or nearly wed, as I like to say, they're engaged, right? When they're newlywed or nearly wed, you know, uh, the, the wife is there or the, 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 the soon-to-be wife is like, you know, I love him. He's so funny. He, he's so perfect. He's such a gentleman. He does this and he does that. Doesn't it make you sick sometimes? Anyways, you're like... And you're looking at him, and you're just thinking, "Yeah, yeah, 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 and, uh, and, uh, and uh, the, the the husband's like, "Yeah, and he he opens a door for me and he pursues me, and I'm special to him, and he desires to be with me more than his friends, and then all of a sudden a couple of years go by, and what happens? what happens? They're like, well, he don't think I'm special anymore, and he doesn't open the door for me anymore, and he doesn't do this for me anymore, and, and she doesn't do this, and she thinks I'm annoying. She thinks my jokes are stupid, right? He, she, I've lost my sense of humor, and all those things that you used to think would attract you now irritate one another, right? You know what's changed? What's changed is that you have stopped pursuing the hearts of one another, and when you stop pursuing the hearts of one another, that love grows cold. And when that love grows cold, all of a sudden you become very uh, disgruntled or you become ungrateful. And we do this with material possessions too, right? I mean, we desire, like, if we, if we God, if you just provide this home for me, we'll be so happy. And you get that home, and then you realize, you know what? We only have three bedrooms. The neighbor has four bedrooms. Wouldn't it be nice if we had another bedroom? Wouldn't it be nice if we had a two-story? Wouldn't it be nice if we had a pool? And all of a sudden, the thing that brought you so much joy and so much uh, satisfaction all of a sudden becomes cold in your heart because you want more, because you're not seeking, you're not satisfied with it. Listen, this is the same way with our relationship with God. He does for us and He gives us blessings and yet our hearts are not full and when, we're not, when we don't take the time to get close to God and we just enjoy His blessings, we, we become uh, unappreciated to God and we begin to slip in our walk with Him. All of a sudden, we don't have that joy in our heart anymore. We don't have that zeal in our heart to do His will and we begin to take the blessings of God and we don't pursue the heart of God. But let me tell you, Moses says, I don't want to be that way, God. God, you've done some great things for me, but I'm not satisfied. Moses had a radical desire to know God on a a radical level. He's like, God, I want to know you and pursue you deeper than just what you can do for me. And he says, I want to pursue you in such a way that I want to meet with you face to face. I want to get alone with you, God. I want to have time for you. And if you read this story, you realize that as Moses took the the tabernacle, said he moved it far away from the people to get alone with God. He he wanted to get away from everyone else so that he can personally spend time with God. And to put it simply, Moses cleared his schedule. He cleared his meetings. He cleared all the responsibilities that he thought was important. And he made time with God. He was intentional about getting alone to know God and to hear from Him. And I said this from the beginning and I hope you get this through this whole message, is that if we want God to do something radical through us, He's got to do something radical in us first. Listen, as you know God more, He will do more through you. And God goes deeper before He goes further in your life. And if you want God to do something radical through you, you got to let God do something radical in you. You got to pursue the heart of God, not for what He can do for you, but because of who He is. And that only comes by spending time with Him. And I must ask you, when was the last time you sought God alone? When was the last time you cleared your schedule to say, okay, Lord, I need to spend time with you? Listen, I get it. I know most of us don't go out in our days and say, listen, I want to push God away. I don't want anything to do with God today. No, we just get too busy to meet with God. That's what happens. And we fill our schedules and where our blessings and the things that are possessions and the things of this world fills our schedules so much that we get to the end of the day and we say, I didn't even have time to pray today. I didn't have time to ask God. I didn't have time to read my Bible today. I didn't have time to serve the Lord today. And it happens. And when that happens, we begin to become lukewarm we become, we become to where we are uh, tepid for the things of God. And Moses says, no, I don't want to be like that, God. I want to meet with you face to face, and I want to do something radical. I love what James 4, 8 says. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When was the last time you drew near to God? As the Bible says, when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Listen, when you get to meet someone and you want to get to know them better, what do you have to do? You have to spend time with them, right? I mean, when you spend time with them, that's your way of getting to know them. And I know for us, most of it gets so busy, we squeeze God out of our lives. But even in other relationships, this happens. You know, as parents with your children, if you want to know your child and you want to influence your child, there's only one way you can do that. You know how you can do that? Time, T-I-M-E. By the way, that's the way kids spell love in their parents' life is T-I-M-E. If you say you love them, but you never spend time with them, guess what you really tell them? You're not important in my life and I don't have time for you. But if you want to get to know them, you spend time with them and you get them out of their rooms and you have a meal with them. You get them off their phones and you have a conversation with them. You get them in your car and you take them somewhere and you spend time with them. That's the way it works. And if you want to influence your children, you got to have time with them and you got to make time for them because I can promise you, if you don't influence your children, the world will influence them for you. And they're going to influence them in a way that you, won't want to, you don't want them to be influenced. And if you want to be the biggest influence in their life, you've got to spend time with them. And it's the same way with God. If you want God to be the biggest influence in your life, you've got to spend time with Him. You got to take and carve out the time. You got to make it happen. You got to put it on your calendar. You got to put your heart on stop mode for a moment. You got to put up the iPad or the phone or the computer and you got to say, Lord, here I am, like Moses, ready to meet with you. And it's so cool to see Moses made time for God and God made time for Moses. Isn't it remarkable? It says that God spoke to Moses face to face like a friend. I mean, if you can know God the way that Moses knew God and you spend time with him and know that God will commune with you, he will do it just as he did it for Moses. You got to spend time with God. That was Moses' radical desire. And in our hearts, we got to be willing to say to God, do something in me so deep before you do something through me. And are you willing to say, God, I want to know you more than anything else. And you got to be willing to spend time with him. Not only time, but Moses had a radical request. He says in verse 13, he says, if I, if I want to know you, but I also have this request. He says, Now therefore I pray, if I found grace in your sight, sight, show me your way that I may know you, Lord, and that I might find grace in your sight and consider this nation your people. So Moses requested to God, If I, I want you to, I want to know your ways. I want to know your commandments. I want to know what makes you happy. I want to know what makes you sad. I want to know everything about you, Lord. Like, what a radical request. I want you to know, and I want grace in your, in your sight, and I want to be your servant. And look at verse 14, it says, And God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Isn't that amazing? Isn't Moses saying, God, I don't know what to do, but I want you to go with me. I want to know you in such a way that I know your ways, and I know your grace, and I want you to consider us your people, and I want your presence with me. And listen, you know what makes you different than anyone else in the whole face on the whole face of this earth is we as Christians can have the presence of God go with us everywhere we go. When God has called us to do something for us, uh, with us, He will do. He will take us every step of the way. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will walk you through every step that you do in your life and every challenge that God brings your way. You can have His presence with you. Listen, in my life, I found this to be so true. In my life, God has called me to do things that I could never do on my own. And I, and I have put uh, my life in His hands and I've said, God, if you're going to do it, your presence has to go with me and you're going to have to provide for me every step of the way because I'm not able to do this. Listen, maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I can't be the spiritual leader of my home. Yes, you can. You can be the spiritual leader of your home because God says His presence will go with you. Maybe you're a mom and you're raising your kids by yourself and you say, I can't do this. Yes, you can. God's presence will go with you every step of the way. Maybe you're a child here or a school teenager and you might say, I can't take a stand in my school. They will laugh at me. They will mock me. They will run me out of school. I can't do it. Yes, you can. If God has called you to be a a, a witness and a light in your school, He will walk with you every step of the way. It's not what God has called you to do. Uh, It's as much as He will walk you through it every step of the way. He never calls you and leaves you to do it in your own power. And you might say, I can't do it. That's true, you can't, but God will do it through you. Listen, when God called me in the ministry, I knew I was hopeless. There was nothing I could do without God empowering me. We had a meeting here Thursday night. Uh, for the association. There was a lot of pastors here and different leaders here, and they were talking about how they grew up and how they had this and how their pastors influenced with this. And, you know, it was like all these great pastors together. And I was like, stuck out like a sore thumb. You know what I mean? I was like, man, you know, I'm not the pastor type of guy. Like when you meet me, I'm not one of those guys. It's like a, a really great pastor kind of guy or the pastor type. And they were talking about this and talking about this strategy and doing this and doing that. And I'm over there thinking, oh, Lord, you called me and it's only been you. <laughs> That's all it's been. Because I God called me and I wasn't equipped to do it. I wasn't gifted. To, I mean, I didn't have any natural abilities to do it. I didn't have any of the power to do it. But guess what? I can say as we come up on 15 years, God has been with me every step of the way. He has. And I could promise you, there's been days when I say, man, I can't do this. And I, I, there's no way you can use me in this. There's no way this can happen. There's no way that can happen. But every time God has proven me wrong because it hasn't been through me, it's been through him because he never left and he never leaves and he never forsakes. And every step of the way, he walks with you. And Moses was able to do what God called him to do because God says, I will go with you wherever you go maybe you're here this morning and you might say, God wants to do something in my marriage, but I can't do it. You can. God might want to do something through you in the church to teach or to sing or to be used by God to worship him. And you say, I can't do it. You can. You can because of his presence. And God tells Moses, you can because of your presence. But then Moses says, not only just his presence, Lord, he asked for one more thing. In verse 18, he says, Lord, please show me your glory. Wow, isn't that amazing? Moses is saying, you know what you learn about God? The more you get to know God, the more you seek after him, the more you want to know him even deeper and deeper. He's the God who always satisfies. And as you pursue God, He's greater and bigger than you could ever imagine. And Moses says, Here I am, Lord, use me. I want to know you, your presence. And he says, Lord, show me your glory. Show me all that you got. I mean, think about this. I mean, this is like Moses going to God and saying, Here I am, weak, pitiful, but Lord, I want to see all of you. I want every part of you, Lord. I want to see everything you got. And I'm sure God kind of chuckled a little bit because in his response, he says, you can't handle all that I got, Moses, all right? You think you can, but you can't. He says, "Matter of fact, you're so bad, you can't even see my face. No one can see my face. No one can see the whole, all the glory of God. But I will put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll put my hand over you. And you, when I pass by, after I pass by, you can see the behind parts of my glory, and you can see them. By the way, for those that are love to study the Bible, this is what they call a Christophany or a Theophany, where you see a picture of Christ in the Bible." Well, God is saying that all His glory can come through a sacrifice that was made or a cleft uh, that was given in this rock. That is the picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. That when we get saved, the Jesus Christ brings all the glory of God into our life through, through Him. And it's a veiled picture of Christ, by the way. But, but even as we look at our story here, what a great picture. A radical request to know God. A radical request, request for God to do something through Him. And then a radical answer from God. Listen, when you call out on God, he never disappoints. He doesn't. He's an awesome God. And let me tell you, through my life, God has done so many things. It's been so great. And the things that I've seen, I've seen glimpses of glory throughout my whole life. I can think about in my family when I met Aaron, I could just see a glimpse of the goodness of God in my life. I mean, she, he brought her into my life to be my, my companion, my spouse. And I knew that was nothing but the glory of God and his goodness in my life. I can think about all three of my kids. This uh, last week I told you Tucker turned 20, Tanner turned 18, and this week Courtney turns uh, 13. Yeah, we knock them all out in one week. All right, I had a busy time in, in this time, and a busy time at Christmas, a busy time in May. So, but they, all three of them, every single one of them, I know, is a glimpse of the glory of God in my life. It is a goodness and a glory that God has shown me through His goodness in my life that I could never have earned or deserved, even through this church as God has called me and I have met people that's blessed my life, that has prayed for me, that has walked my children through things and has been with my family through thick and thin, has has brought me through so many things. That's a glimpse of the glory of God in my life. I can think of the times He has healed me and the times that He has worked in my family and provided for me and provided for this church and brought person after person after person and fulfilled every single desire we've had as a church up to this point. And I know He is good. It's just a glimpse of the glory of God. And one day, we will not just see the glimpses of the glory of God. We will see the full glory of God on display when we get to heaven and see how really how great and how grand He is. I mean, what a a great God we serve. And Moses is like, God, I want to see all of you. And God's like, you can't handle that. But I'll let you see these little glimpses. And what a way to see the glimpses of glory in your life. Let me tell you, the Bible says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.9, he says, It is written, I has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Let me tell you, when you get your heart right with God, when you go deep with God, When you ask Him to do something radical in you, He will do something radical through you and you will see things in your life and the glory of God you will never see any other way. And listen, for you as a family to see the glory of God in your family, to see the glory of God in your marriage, to see the glory of God in our church, because we were willing to allow God to do something radical through us, that's what the world needs to see. That's what lost people need to see. That's what tepid, lukewarm Christians need to see. What is it? What do they have that we don't have? How is it that this God goes like a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day? How is it that you can see the, the glory of God shining on their faces? How is it that their kids can make it through the world that we live in and raise their kids in a nurture and admonition to the Lord? How is it that their church can do these things because uh, only because of the glory and the power of God? When you serve him, you allow him to work in your heart. God will do things you could never imagine. And you can see God in a way that you can never see him before. Listen, that's what the prayer is. That's what your heart should be. And this morning, as we think about Moses, not just what God can do through him, but mostly what God can do in him. And this morning, what have you allowed God to do in your heart? Listen, God is coming and he is calling people like you. He's calling husbands. He's calling wives. He's calling teachers. He's calling workers and business people. He's calling people to say, are you willing to allow me to work in your heart in such a way that I can bring the glory of God through your family, through your home, and through your life? And just like Moses, you can make the question, you can be like the the rest of the people and stay in the camp, or you can be like Moses and get out in the tabernacle and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Here's my heart. Speak to me, work through me, and let me see your glory, Lord, because I want you to do something radical in me that change my life and to change my culture and my family and the rest of this world because of who you are. Use me, God. Hopefully, we'll be like Moses this morning and say, God, do something in me this morning. Let's pray together.